0: Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
1: Welcome back, again. It's the Lions 24 7 podcast. I am Tyler down and he is Sean Fitz. Appreciate you listening to us as always. Hopefully, you have found our YouTube page by now. That channel is at Lions 24 7. Ready or not, folks? It is Ohio State Week for Penn State. A game that looks much different than when we. Looked at it at the start of October as we close into Halloween weekend and the Big Ten title picture takes shape. Suddenly, Penn State really left out of that conversation, dropping 13 spots to number 20 in the AP Top 25 poll following that 20-18, to nine overtime loss to Illinois that we spent a lot of time, Sean, on Saturday breaking down. We're going to try our best not to rehash a lot of things. We're going to have to talk about a lot of the same things, though. It's just the way it is coming off of a loss like that. Uh, And as I said... It's Ohio State week, and, and I don't know if this team will be ready, but they've got to go to Columbus, and they've got to play football on Saturday against a Buckeyes squad that is now number five nationally and very much rolling right now.
0: We spent a lot of time breaking it down. We're going to spend the rest of our lives trying to forget it because that's how bad it was. and um, that's, that, This is one that's going to stick with a lot of people for a long time. Fans are going to remember uh, they're going to put it in the 6-4 category because you, know, you, you can remember some – some stinkers that Penn state has played over the past couple of years of the army game a couple of years ago. And, you know, just uh, a couple of just like, m- you know, menial games in the, in the early in the schedule, but, but they managed to pull through and win. This one is just going to stick because it was, it was every bit as bad and and maybe some of that goes away if you win in overtime, but it's just not, uh, it's it's going to be one that just hangs around for a long time. And you've got a lot of different levels that are, that are playing up to that. And it's, it's really disappointing. And again, do recommend you check out the post-game podcast. Um, maybe not as, uh, as in-depth analytical, but uh, I think some people and t- they tweeted us and we were, we appreciate your feedback that, that appreciated the, the, uh, the candor after the game and, and kind of wondering what's uh, what's left for Penn state now. So uh, check that out. Check out the post game podcast. We'll have a couple more episodes for you this week, but it's Ohio state week. And uh, you mentioned it looked a lot different. at The start of our October looked a lot different a week ago today, or even five days ago. So um, it was, uh, it's going to be probably be a long week for Penn state in terms of preparation for the Buckeyes. It's
1: going to be a long week for James Franklin for this team. As I said, this is about as much as adversity. And that's saying a lot. They were 0-5 last year. Let's not forget what we witnessed last season and how that took shape and, and just was a, a an absolute calamity in a lot of ways. But right now, this team where they are coming off the loss to Illinois and now looking ahead at the schedule, three of their next five opponents, Sean, are inside the top 10 AP poll rankings as things stand right now. So you think, OK, if things don't stop trending the way they have, what is the final record for this Penn State team? And what does that mean for James Franklin? Now, without getting too far down that road, we have a big picture question about the trajectory of this program coming later. But, Sean, just coming off of the Illinois game, we get on these post-game podcasts and, and we it's a little bit more reactionary because we're just fresh off of seeing it. And we have a lot of questions and we haven't had any media availability. There has been nothing from James Franklin, nothing from players, nothing on the record since Saturday. But there's been some time to dig a little bit deeper into the numbers, and they are just uglier and uglier the more you kind of go layer by layer through what happened during those four hours in Beaver Stadium.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's the ones that are going to jump out to you that are obvious, like the, the 350 plus rushing yards by Illinois, um, you know, the numbers for Sean Clifford those are the ones you're going to lean on. But when you take a deeper look at it, it, it's not any prettier whatsoever. It's not like you can find the silver lining in this game. Penn state was a better team. Uh, Illinois came out and put it to them. And that's really the disappointing part of it. Um, You know, you look at uh, you got three takeaways, three points off of those three takeaways, Um, 10 point holding Illinois to 10 points should be more than enough. You know, you, you could have uh, argued that if, if you told anybody before the game, 10 points, yeah, Penn state's going to win whatever to 10 and and be fine with it. Um it's tough. I mean, you look at uh, you look back at the tape and it's it's painfully obvious that if Sean Clifford can't run, this offense can't function because you're you're asking Sean Clifford to stand back there and be an accurate quarterback and that's just not what he is. And uh you know, he makes a lot of those plays moving around in the pocket, getting uh getting on the move, picking up nine yards on a third and six or something of that nature. And you take that out of the offense and and you've got nothing. And that's really, that's really disappointing. And I think the disappointing part is you knew that coming in, you, you schemed around it. You ran six out of your first seven plays were on the ground. And, um, couldn't really do anything about it. And when you asked him to throw, you opened him up a little bit and and think good things happen. And so you knew that was coming in. Yet you thought you could trust your ground game a little. We talked about that after the game. That that just completely evaporated and you have no trust in that whatsoever. And going on the road to a, a situation like Ohio State, who does have a dominant running game, you're, you're kind of scared of how that's going to take shape. So, um, you know, it's, it, it's really it's been tough to handle. You, you take this game and you say Penn State's at a crossroads, but, you know, I'm going to bring some Jersey into it for you. It's more like a roundabout. I mean, there's several different ways that this could go. There's several different uh, layers at play here. You talk about James Franklin being rumored for jobs at LSU and USC, it, you know, after that game, that a lot of that leverage goes out the window. I mean, you look at what if you just take it frame by frame here. Okay. You're, you're LSU and you're L- USC. Now you have mm-hmm. to justify if you're going to put James Franklin high on your list, you have to justify that coming off that mm-hmm. game. If you're James Franklin, you're trying to negotiate with Penn state and trying to figure out what is the best for, for yourself. If you're staying at Penn state, and all of a sudden you lose a lot of leverage, you lose a lot of faith in the letterman faith in uh, donors and things like that, just off of one game. And that's kind of where you see yourself right now. So it's a, big old pile of mud right there and it's probably worse than mud but it's it, you're just kind of stuck in in one spot and uh for franklin for the program who obviously these players are, are hearing his name tossed out and about that's a tough one to go through and and now you got to rebound and play the number five team in the country who is probably going to be a playoff team if they uh you know continue to do what they're doing that's not a situation anybody wants to be in so it just at every level you're just you're you're in it deep and that's uh it's not a great place to be and Some teams play great with their back against the walls. Other teams can can completely implode. And you look at that schedule and not only do you face top 10 team in Michigan, go on the road, top 10 team at Michigan state, which, you know, somebody's going to take care of that this weekend. And one of those teams is going to fall out, but you also go on the road to Maryland, which every year should be a win. But as you saw last year, not necessarily the case. So, um, really just, a. uh, a bunch of spokes on this wheel right now. Um, and I'm not sh- certain that all of those are, are pointing in the right direction.
1: You make a tremendous point there. And it's one that, I, you know, Josh Pate, I- I'm sure would, would hammer this home for us as well. USC and LSU, they need to hire a guy that, you know, is the Pied Piper coming into this situation. One, they're going to be spending a ton of money, whoever they bring in, it's going to be a huge paycheck sign. Then you're talking about USC, which it has been some time, but they had a dynasty going, you know, 15 years ago but that's not that long in the grand scheme and usc thinks they should be in that position all the time out there in the pac-12 and then lsu won a national title two years ago so if if james franklin right now is the guy you're trumpeting as the the pied piper for your program and the guy who's gonna get you back to where you want to be you think it's going to take long for tigers and trojans fans and for the national media and the loudest voices in college football to completely derail any perception of good vibes that would come from that move as things stand right now. I mean, it feels like James Franklin's almost got to go to Columbus and beat the Buckeyes to, to kind of get himself back to some kind of even keel standing after what he's lost in the last seven quarters.
0: Yeah. That shine has, has really worn off from the national standpoint and, and, from the Penn State standpoint as well. I mean, fans not happy, obviously. You go out there and, I mean, it's amazing what, what a game like that can do to you. And uh, you you, you got to try and turn it around somehow. And this is not the optimal way to do that by going to Columbus and playing a great team at night. So, um, you know, you, you can fall back on Penn State's done a, done a nice job and played Ohio State better than any team in the Big Ten. But at the same time, Trevion Henderson's over there running for 200 yards a week a week after chase Brown um, and, and and McCray, the freshman, forgive me. I forget his first name um, diced your defense and you don't have your best defensive tackle. So that's, uh, it's pretty, pretty bleak. Not going to lie. I hope we haven't lost, uh, lost our listeners by now. (laughs) Stay with us. Um, We got recruiting uh, coming
1: up. We got recruiting coming up on the show. Stay with us.
0: (laughs) We do. We do. And and James Franklin has recruiting. He's got the number three class in the country. I think it is maybe four class in the country right now. Um, So that's a, bargaining chip that he does have going for him right now and you know you got to keep those guys uh on on the straight and narrow we talked a little bit on sunday uh excuse me after on saturday after the game jordan allen no longer in the class he made that official earlier today um but before we get back into recruiting i mean you just look at this look at this loss and you wonder how how far can those waves go i mean how long how far can this ripple effect uh sort of impact the entire penn state program
1: everything is magnified right now and moments are magnified in retrospect, especially when there was that much football played and such a strange scenario played out there with the the new format for overtime, which drew a lot of opinions. But I think, you know, the Jaquan Brisker dropped interception, the Ellis Brooks missed opportunity in the same department. uh, And then obviously 350 plus rushing yards on the ground are going to be a bunch of red flags that people raise to and point to and say, how did this happen? But let's face it. I mean, with that said, 350-plus rushing yards, it was the third most ever allowed by Penn State. They still had three takeaways. They surrendered 38 passing yards. They surrendered 10 points in regulation while giving up 350-plus rushing yards. 10 points. And you add Jordan Stout's punting, which, again, was very on point on Saturday That needs to be enough. That needs to be more than enough when you're playing a 2-5 and Illinois team with the offensive personnel that you have, with the recruiting that you've done at key positions on the offensive line, at tight end, at running back, at receiver, with the receiver you had leading the way in Jahan Dotson. And then you look at this quarterback room, which we've talked about since last January and last February, about where are the supplemental pieces, where are the reinforcements. They never showed up. That is where we are right now, and, and I think it's clear. You start with the quarterback room, but collectively, the offensive implosion has absolutely torpedoed what looked like it could have been a very special season, and it has put this defense on its heels every step of the way while that defense lost one of its primary components in P.J. Mustafer.
0: And and again, this is kind of rehashing what we said in the in the post game. But that defense, uh, as many things as they do have to fix, and that's you can admit that um, had them where they needed to be to win that game. Um, the, on the flip side, offensively, just painful, painful to watch, uh, painful to uh, follow along as well. Um, James Franklin said after the game on Saturday that Sean Clifford playing Sean Clifford, and obviously, you know, ham- injury hampered Sean Clifford gave them the best chance to win. The worst part about that is, I think I believe him. I, I do. Yeah, you know, I think that that and that's an indictment on your quarterback room and and the way that you've recruited the position, no doubt. But I think I believe him in terms of what that's doing, and that's gonna that's gonna cap your ceiling for the rest of the season if Sean Clifford can't be the guy that runs around and make play makes plays and. Uh, you know, is the running threat, and, and and really probably your most efficient runner this season. So that's uh, that's probably the the one that hurts the most. Is you're looking at that quarterback room and wondering what's going. You, you look at the future, and obviously Bo, Bo Prabula and Drew Aller out there. Um, you know, have you feeling hopeful? But you got to get there, and and that's the thing. You're you're not going to win any games with Drew Aller and Bo Prabula in the 2021 season.
1: Yeah, that's a topic to discuss in January, and, and that'll be one that Penn State can't wait to get to in terms of a personnel upgrade, you'd imagine. But right now, it, it, they have what they have, and, and they have five games to figure out how to get it done starting this Saturday against Ohio State. And, and Sean, I, I I do want to reiterate this, that one more point on the defense. They let the Illini reach the end zone twice on nine overtime sessions. Seven of those started at the three-yard line. They let them in twice. I mean, there were so many opportunities where they passed that baton to to Penn State's offense and said, figure it out, get the end zone, get the win. Let's get the hell out of here with a W. Go to Columbus and figure out what we did wrong today. And it just didn't get done by the offense. And here's some pretty painful stats from ESPN. If you haven't had enough pain from the podcast, these just stood out to me. Uh, Read through these a little bit earlier in the week. Two teams have had fewer passing yards than Illinois did in a top 10 upset win during the last 15 years. Penn State is the first team in the last 10 years to win a turnover battle by three or more. And limit their opponent to less than two yards per pass attempt and still lose. We're talking about a decade of college football. And then here's a big one. According to Caesar Sportsbook, Penn State closed at 25 and a half point favorite uh, going into the matchup. We both predicted they would cover based on our points uh, spread predictions. Since the SES and FBS split in 1978, only one other time has Penn State lost as a 20 plus point favorite. That was last year at home as well against Maryland.
0: Yeah, um, that, that's fine. And and you say twenty five points and a half. That, that means I I beat the I beat them because I had them at twenty five. So there you go, big check for me there. Nice work. Um, yeah, yeah. Thanks. Silver linings here is what we do. <laughs> um, no, but it's uh, yeah. It's uh, there's there's really no excuses for that. Um, you you can't. You, I mean, you can look back and, and talk about the missed opportunities and everything like that. But when it comes like that, when it when it comes to a team at the bottom of the Big Ten physically putting it to you you know, that's, that's where you got to, you know, kind of draw the line, especially as a, as a, as a program that's prided itself over the years of being tougher than the other team. And now all of a sudden that's, that's not the case. And I I don't think this is time for the conversation about going to shotgun and fullback and all that kind of stuff, um, because that's kind of irrelevant at this point. But, you know, the guys in that room or excuse me, the guys in that building, not just the coaching staff have to take it upon themselves. We've been talking so much about Franklin and Yursich and, and Brent pry, but, players got to take it upon themselves at some point you wonder if the if the distractions were just too much I mean you had two weeks to, to prepare for this game maybe you're looking ahead to the Buckeyes maybe you're looking at preparing for stopping Trevion Henderson instead of dropping uh, stopping Chase Brown and, and that's what happens so um, I, I think the, the players deserve a fair share of uh, of credit when they win a fair share of of, of, of um, criticism when they go out yeah. and, and, and play like this so um, you know, you hope, uh, you hope everyone's healthy coming out of that. I've had my doubts, you know, you, I was watching the game the other day and, um, you know, Caden Wallace, I don't think was able to, to lift one of his arms at one point. And that's, uh, you know, that's big for an offensive tackle. So, um, you know, as, as good as this team looked at points during the season, you still had, you still had, uh, um. You still have worries about its depth, but that was mostly in the on the front seven on defense, that linebacker spot. Uh, you know, you're just wondering if, if those guys, those young guys that we've talked about before, can can take a step up and maybe make an make an impact on the offensive line, uh, at defensive tackle with Izzard and, and Ellis and, and you know, work some of those other guys in there. Um, uh, but you're you're not gonna do that unless you build these leads and get these guys reps and get these guys out there because you don't want to put them out in the, in a in a situation that's kind of a no win situation.
1: Well, rep building season, I think, is just about done for this squad right now in 2021. Uh, if you're looking for opportunities in games to get reps, I think you're going to have to get guys involved when the game still matters. Because to this point, uh, I look at the head of the sky, I look ahead of the schedule. Maybe my alma mater fits the bill as a team they could they could pile up some points on. But I'm not really giving them the benefit of the doubt in any of these matchups right now. So what they've got. Thank
0: thank you, by the way, for for saying that much better than I do. (laughs) The rep building (laughs) season being over is what I was trying to get at. And you swooped in and you nailed that one. So I appreciate that.
1: And I do want to go back to something you said, because you talk about motivated players, spending two weeks hearing about what happened at Iowa, probably feeling very disrespected, feeling like you missed a great opportunity and feeling like you didn't have a full shot at that because Sean Clifford was sidelined. And then you come out and you play this way against Illinois. And there's a lot that falls on the staff's feet here. And we're going to talk about that and continue to talk about that as this week goes on. But yeah, from, from a motivation standpoint, this is an Illinois team. We spent our, you know, what a big chunk last week of breaking down the Illini. got Called out by their head coach. He's saying, you know, people that bringing in the last few years aren't going to be good enough to play uh, as a two deep member moving forward, all this kind of stuff. They were shut out at, at Wisconsin 24 to nothing. So they come in and all of a sudden they have more motivation than Penn State. And and I mean, they did play very hard, but they were really, really poor in key areas starting at the quarterback position. And they were ripe for the picking here, even if you played some of your worst football that you have played under the James Franklin era there were at least nine, 10, 11 opportunities in this game. I think you can count them up from the fourth quarter through all these overtime sessions where Penn state still manages to escape defeat and, and and despite itself end up at six and one, and they still couldn't get that done. And, and and Sean, I think offensively, I mean, where else can you start the conversation? Uh, Some other numbers I put together, I didn't have help from ESPN on this one, but I went through some box scores the last couple of weeks, Sean Clifford, since he exited uh, the game against Iowa, Here's what Penn State's offense has done over those last almost seven entire quarters. I I did not include overtime in these because that's not real football. So three scoring drives in regulation, one field goal that required zero yards gained offensively. That was uh, this past game where you got a defensive turnover, got a field goal after the offense, did nothing with that turnover. Clifford last week on that touchdown drive, which is the only touchdown drive they have since he was hurt against Iowa. He was three for three for 87 yards through the air with a touchdown. Otherwise, over those same over those seven quarters, Penn State, twenty-two of fifty-one combined passing, ninety-one passing yards, two interceptions. You've seen no real quarterback rush threat from either Clifford or Taquan Roberson. Roberson had a ten-yard gain against Illinois. Clifford was a complete non-factor with his feet and turned away from several opportunities to make something happen as a runner against Illinois. Penn State went sixty-plus minutes of football between these two games without converting a single third down. The longest play that didn't involve Sean Clifford throwing the ball in these two games and in those seven quarters, an 18-yard run this past Saturday by John Lovett. Beyond that, the next longest that didn't involve Sean Clifford throwing the ball, 12-yard run for Kevon Lee, and a 12-yard reception for Cam Sullivan-Brown from Taquan Roberson. I didn't mention the name Jahan Dotson in there. That is a huge issue. Again, uh, we're talking about uh, just a com- complete collapse here, Sean. It's 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 just really hard to wrap my head around. Even even as I'm reading the stats that I wrote myself, still trying to figure out how it got to this low point in such a hurry.
0: I I don't know, man. That was that was pretty brutal uh, right there. I'm sorry, uh, but those are the numbers. Yeah. 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 The numbers, uh, the numbers tell a lot there and, and, you know, numbers can be misleading. Sometimes I think these are right on the money. So, um, yeah. one, one, uh, one quick comment. You, you did say that, uh, Roberson had a 10 yard game against Illinois. It was Iowa, obviously. Iowa. Yeah. Um, but it was, uh, it doesn't make it, it doesn't change anything. Um, but now it's, uh, it, it's the same thing. Yeah. You know, I go back to what I said earlier in the episode you don't have that running threat from Sean Clifford, you don't have much because he's sitting back there and, and trying to pick you apart. And that's not the quarterback that he is. Um, then again, you, you you don't have anything at all from the rest of your quarterback room. That's a scary situation. I mean, we were just yeah. uh we're just a few days removed from talking about getting those two young guys reps, because you should be able to go out and, you know, put it to uh, Illinois and, and do some things that, uh, that you haven't been able to do in a couple of weeks. And that's, uh, you know, perhaps oversight by us, but, I'll be honest with you, Jeremy Werner was right on board with us. I mean, he thought this was going to be a, a fairly um, comfortable win for Penn State as well. So he nailed
1: I mean, it on I, the nailed it on the Illini quarterbacks.
0: He nailed it. Yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> no offense to Jeremy, it didn't take much <laughs> to, uh, to 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 pull up that scouting report, but the run game yep. was solid. Uh, defense was solid. I, I just, again, I think Penn State was surprised about how physical they were. And as you saw, it was a sleepy Sunday or excuse, excuse me, a sleepy Saturday in, in State College, a rainy Saturday. And it played like they were hung over from the bye. And that's kind of how it worked.
1: Illinois went big uh, with offensive personnel. Penn State did not have the response. They were without P.J. Mustaver, which is a huge gut punch. And that's exactly what you saw Illinois delivering was gut punch after gut punch. It felt like seven, eight yards on every attempt, whether it was one running back or the other. Now, you mentioned this on the postgame podcast. Illinois, for whatever reason, flipped their script, started to really rely on quarterback playing overtime time, um, which played into Penn State's hand, I thought, and and and, and the late, four, uh, late fourth quarter as well. But, I mean, Sean, you're going up. You mentioned Travion Henderson, what he's doing already. People are questioning whether he's the best running back in college football What six, seven games into his freshman year at Ohio State. We just saw Illinois do that. They do not have blue-chip talent up front. In fact, Pilamo was trying to distance himself from this offensive line five, six days ago. So that is a terrible equation that sets up in Columbus.
0: Yeah, and and Ohio State, the last couple times Penn State has played them, has come out aggressive and, and gone right after them. And I think that that's something that, you know, maybe Illinois has picked up from Penn or from those Penn State films against Ohio State. As you go right at them, um, especially without a guy like P.J. Mustafer, you're going to have issues. And again, big week for the linebackers. They were not good against Illinois, not feeling, you know, sealing back and, and filling those backside gaps and tackling was all over the place. Uh, very, very poor. Um, it was interesting because it was there, there was a lot of you know, I, we we think about those runs, those big chunk runs that Illinois was able to put together. A bunch of times, they Penn State had, had the Illinois back in the backfield, and and they, you know, to their credit, finished some of those plays, had some tackles for loss and things like that, or ta- or tackles for no gain. Um, but really, it's just uh, it was it was tough to watch taking it off the left side, all of a sudden slipping past uh, an arm tackle or two, and he's down in the field for 17 yards. It just happened way too often, and for an offensive line that was. Not very good for the rest of the season. You look at what they did against Wisconsin. Wisconsin's got a, you know, as we said in the, the start of the year, the front seven is not the problem there. And the front seven from Wisconsin put it to Illinois, and Illinois turned the tables and put it to Penn State's front seven. Can I talk about the Penn State quarterback situation real quick? No, we're good.
1: <laughs> well, I got one more thing, man. Because, look, it, let's be real. If, if it is what it is and Sean Clifford's good enough, healthy enough to play right now, but he is as healthy as we saw last week. And essentially you're getting, I don't know, a guy that's not going to make mistakes. That's not going to be the quarterback uh, on the field when eight pre-snap penalties happen, but he's not creating. And you didn't see Takeon Roberson creating. And this offense requires a creator at quarterback. So if you don't have Clifford as the creator, you have more Clifford, the guy who's not going to turn the ball over, and maybe you can put some drop possessions together. And if you don't have Takeon Roberson, who's a creator, Is there anybody else that steps up there? And if those are your two options, I mean, uh, do you have to go Sean Clifford in this situation in Columbus? and, And I guess the other question is, can you go with him? Is he medically okay to do that? What are you jeopardizing by playing him? There's just a lot involved in this conversation, and I can't find a solution that leads me to believe anything will be improved at the quarterback position for Penn State in this matchup.
0: Yeah, I don't have an answer for you. And that's twofold. I don't have an answer because I don't know what the cor- correct course of action is with Clifford's health. And I don't have an answer because outside of Clifford, you you don't know anything about this quarterback room, except that you don't want them going into Ohio State making their first start. So I I, I wish I could fill you in with a little bit more color <laughs> yeah. on that. But that's uh, that's kind of where they're at, they are right now. And yeah. kind of played a dangerous game with just having those three scholarship quarterbacks. And beyond having those three scholarship quarterbacks, obviously only one was ready to go in the big time. So that's tough. Uh, t- tough sledding there for Penn State, and they've ran into a, kind of a worst case scenario with Clifford getting hurt at Iowa, and it's going to continue to have a ripple effect on the on the rest of the schedule.
1: Talk about a dangerous game. We're talking about Penn State reconfiguring its offensive line during the second half of, of game number seven out of desperation. Now you're going to play Ohio State, where there are freaks across the field from you, man. I, I mean, we saw Drew Scruggs end up at center for this game. Uh, we've seen Eric Wilson come off the field at times. We've seen Bryce Efner involved at times. We saw Miranda at right guard. We we know that Caden Wallace was a heck of a guard prospect, the guy who practiced at, at guard for Penn State some early in his career, but he's played all tackle since he got to campus at that right tackle position. I'm just not sure where Phil Troutwine picks the guys, mixes the guys, and how you do that while also competing against Ohio State and then eventually Michigan and then against Michigan State. How does it not continue to go down the slippery slope here? How do they hit the brakes? I know this is one you don't have the answer for, but if they don't get this one answered or at least find several Band-Aids and apply them to the situation, this is probably the, the ultimate death of the 2021 Penn State football season will be the inability for the offensive line uh, to 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 develop anything uh, of significance. Let's face it, they have not moved guys around. There has not been a lot of help from the tight end unit. There has not been a lot of flash and burst to overcome that from the running back room. And now you don't have a dual threat quarterback in play. It just spells doom. And I don't know how to avoid
0: it. I don't either, man. Uh, Miranda has been you know he was this what second team all big 10 by the coaches last year he was um i mean he's that's not this year i don't i don't i don't know um what what the problems have been i don't know this is a guy that we've said um you know his ceiling not as high as his floor that doesn't make any sense you you know what i mean when i say that um where you know eventually things are going to catch up to him physically and i think that's what we're seeing right now um you know i like scruggs at center i you know he he Guy has some work to do, obviously he hasn't had a ton of reps there or anything like that, but, you know, I think he kind of sets the table for the next couple of years as a, as a center prospect. So go with that, but yeah, guard, um, you know, not strong enough, not, uh, not athletic enough. Um, you know, Eric Wilson doing what he can in there, but I just, you know, I think he might be in, in over his head a little bit, kind of like Miranda in terms of athletic, uh, you know, ability and you know, the short arms and things like that. When you're playing a team like Ohio state, that's going to bring, as you said, freaks up front across from you and they've had their issues on defense, no doubt about it. Um, but at the same time, you know, that's a, that's a matchup that you also favor the Buckeyes. So I'm um, going to see how they play around Going to see how Bryce Effner fits in. He played some, some decent snaps. He was kind of a sixth offensive lineman. And, you know, when your tight ends are not blocking, like you hope that they would, then all of a sudden you've got to bring in a sixth offensive lineman to, uh, to try and get that done. So, um, a critical situation. Phil Troutwine's not in a good spot right now. And, uh, you know, y- you have to question how, how that coaching job is going as well. So really tough, man. And you just keep throwing these questions up to me. I don't have answers for you except that it doesn't look great. <laughs>
1: Okay, tight end room. Let's go. Uh, speaking of a coach that probably starting to feel some pressure, certainly to get things moving in the right direction. We talked about the inability for this positional unit to consistently bring it as blockers, and there have been some crucial whiffs along the way. I also checked the stat sheet as receivers because that's one spot you thought you could hang your hat on with this group it would be production in the passing game. Look, it's been a total plummet for this passing production in the last two games, Sean. But you've got to go all the way back. Yeah, you've got to go all the way back to September 18th, that whiteout game against Auburn. The only time any Penn State tight end has caught more than two passes in a game this season. Brenton Strange caught four passes for 71 yards and a touchdown against Auburn. Since then, one catch, one catch, one catch. He had two catches for 24 yards against Illinois. He had a crucial drop against Iowa, a couple actually, um, when they were trying to muster anything, any kind of momentum to stay on the field with Taequann Roberson. Uh, We know Theo Johnson had a vital drop against Illinois. He has had some big plays where 20-plus yard gains, and I believe the first three games, and he added another against Indiana. But you look at the last couple of weeks, one catch, one yard for Theo Johnson, and a big drop. And then Tyler Warren, no receptions going back to the Auburn game. That he's been in that Wildcat formation. We've seen him score a couple of touchdowns earlier in the year. Converted a big fourth down. I was surprised we didn't maybe see him involved for one of those two point conversion scenarios uh, last Saturday. Didn't happen, and he hasn't been an impact player as a receiver to this point. So. There's just a whole lot of what happened for me at tight end when I look through those numbers.
0: You you mean as a Wildcat quarterback because he did throw the pass to Sean Clifford that uh, did not get right. What did before, I say? So uh, just that he wasn't involved. So uh, not, two touches a as deal. a
1: Wildcat QB, one fourth down pickup, and then the throw to Clifford. Yep.
0: Yeah. So that's kind of where where you're at with there. I mean, you think about it, just a game of inches, a catch by Brenton Strange, and and you know that that's one where you probably can't play the what if game, but that drop by Brenton Strange on third down against Iowa. Maybe that's the maybe that's the one that gets you where you need to be and runs more of that clock off and get your defense off the hook, at least. And then that uh, Theo Johnson one against Illinois. That's a touchdown. I mean, that's that's one where he's more bigger, stronger and faster than the guys that are chasing him. He's probably going to get to the end zone. And all of a sudden you're looking at different outcomes in both of those games. So, uh, yeah, the, the when when you look at what Penn State has had at the tight end position over the last couple of years, Pat would make that those catches. Pat would, you know, you, he was so, so reliable. And and these guys, as talented as they are, as athletic as they are, have not proven to be the reliable targets that the, 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 the guy that preceded them has been. So um, you ask them to take a step this year and you, there's a strong argument that that has not happened. Uh, Noah Kane, Sean, is under three yards per carry since week one. He
1: remains we're the guy who gets the doing bulk the same, of work.
0: We're just doing the same thing over and over again, aren't we? Just the tight ends to the running backs. They're not up to expectations, obviously. No. Um, you know, uh, Bill Connolly had something today where he was – dead wrong about the running game as well but the 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 worst part is you've seen glimpses from these guys and that's the thing you you see a different back when Keevan Lee's out there you see a different back when Noah Kane is out there and you just you know Noah Kane at least has the injury um, you know to help I don't want to say help him out but the injury kind of you know gives him a little bit of slack but just this running game in general you you've seen it work before and now with the coordinator change it's it's just not there Between
1: the tight end room and the running back room, there are eight former four-star prospects in 24-7 sports composite rankings right now. You're just not getting what you thought you could, and certainly quarterback play right now, very detrimental to the entire process. But that's where it is offensively, and I think defensively, the, the situation is they've been getting taxed by snaps since week one. Um, they had some opportunities in non-conference play and against Indiana to get some breathers. But you go back to that Wisconsin game, they're playing 90 snaps right, right in that ballpark. Uh, Illinois completely dominated time of possession. Iowa dominated time of possession after Clifford goes down. And along the way, you say goodbye to P.J. Mustafer. You never had Adisa Isaac. You never had Akeem Beeman. So you, you combine a group that's getting thinner up front with a group that's getting taxed by snaps and a schedule that's only – going to get more difficult in the trenches that's where it is on defense I still really love the way the defensive backfield is playing they have missed some key opportunities to come away with interceptions that is really glaring there's no doubt about it but I think overall you, you love the way they're handling themselves at the back end of this defense but it won't really matter I mean if Ohio State is able to set the tone on the ground and we've seen that do, them do that a couple of years ago with J.K. Dobbins up in Columbus if Penn State can't respond there it won't really matter what those defensive backs can do and how good they are back there.
0: Well, your defensive problems are offensive problems, aren't they? I mean, you you can't get off the field. You can't uh, prolong a couple of drives. And all of a sudden, your defense is playing, what, 90 snaps against Wisconsin. And um, that's going to wear on you throughout the season. Did it against Iowa. And, you know, you just can't – if you can't prolong drives, you're leaving guys out and kind of hanging guys out to dry. I mean, we watched the other night Derek Tangelo, you know, calling for – Calling for somebody to come in, and and with the depth that they have, or the lack of depth that they have on the defensive line in that front seven, you just don't have anybody to take over from. So that's an issue in itself. But at the same time, your defense is playing way too far too many snaps. I mean, it's and it's really kind of starting to catch up with those front line guys. I mean, just imagine where Penn State would be without Tangelo and without Abakiti uh, right now, because it's Thanks. just. uh it's, it, it's terrifying to think about. Now, some of those guys, to their credit, have, have stepped up and, and played well. I think Ellis has played fairly well. I expected to see a little bit more of him than, than is, or You're wondering if Ellis is still banged up from that, that Iowa game. But has played well. Tar Burton's been solid enough. Uh kind of got exposed in the run game a little bit. They went kind of right after him on Saturday. Illinois did. Um, but yeah, you're running running out of bodies there, running out of guys that uh, you know, can can function and and give you the best that your defensive line needs. When when you've got a gap between one through three and then four to six, you see that show up when a guy like Smith Vilbert goes in there and you know you're you're kind of playing in a curve right then. So um, and then you move back uh, defensively to the linebackers and, and, you know, that there's only so, so many plays that those guys are going to have to make or going to be able to make. And, you know, you saw it. Uh, you could say the same thing about the secondary, not so much against Illinois, but against Iowa, those reps keep coming and coming and coming. Something's got to give at some point, somebody's going to slip or something like that. Um, so really a tough spot to be in, but yeah, you, you can talk all you want about how the defense gave up 350 some or 350 plus rushing yards, but that's a product of the environment that they've been put in the last two weeks and uh, 10 points, as we said, should be enough to win it. And that, you know, that, uh, that that's just going to be what they have to deal with probably the rest of the season.
1: I tossed this line out during the post game podcast. I'll do it again here to reiterate the point you just made 18 Penn state possessions starting in, In the second, third, or fourth quarter the last two weeks, 11 of them lasted fewer than five plays. That is a very short amount of time repeatedly for your defense to come to the sideline, regroup, get their legs underneath them, get some oxygen in those lungs. I mean, that's that's asking a lot. And as we said, guys are going down, and that gets harder and harder to accomplish. Um, Sean... (laughs) Ohio State's facing them, uh, staring them in the face. We're going to talk about the Buckeyes more later this week. We'll bring on an analyst who covers the Ohio State on a daily basis to get a better understanding of what this challenge looks like. Clearly, it's been a, main cha- a major challenge. You said it. Buckeyes have been probably played tougher on a, more, on a consistent basis against Penn State than any other Big Ten opponent of late, but it's a 6-1 record for Ohio State against James Franklin at the end of the day, and that has been a huge, huge issue for Penn State. Certainly more issues piling on here right now ahead of the matchup. Recruiting, you mentioned Jordan Allen officially out. You said that was coming on Saturday um, as he was at Ole Miss during the weekend. We know how Penn State staff views those kind of visits post-commitment. Um, we talked about bringing a tight end on board in 2023. I'm just going to throw it to you here. What do you got for recruiting?
0: Important distinction, and I know that not everybody works like this because because Jordan Allen put it out this morning on Monday morning. Uh, this, this is one that was in motion well before the game, you know, this wasn't a situation where you looked at the, at the game and, and see the fallout and say, this guy was bailing after that. So don't, don't take that, don't don't take that bait and go with it. Uh, Penn state's going to have to do some selling in terms of the guys that they do have on board um, who all seem pretty solid in themselves, but you know, guys further away, Jordan Allen was a a, a guy that we, you know, earmarked late last week. I think it was Friday morning. We found out that that there was an Ole Miss official visit scheduled. Um, uh, Penn state staff, found out by reading Steve Wilfong's column on 24 seven sports, that that's going to happen. That's, never that's not good. how you, that's not how you go about that. Um, you know, there's, there's obviously the policy that they don't want anybody visiting anywhere else, but it goes to another level when you don't tell them that you have plans to visit to another, uh, another school. So um, thought that visit was off and that was not the case. And, Took care of itself, and that's where you're at. Penn State, of course, tight on scholarships to begin with. So, you know, if you're going to lose somebody, the, the corner from Louisiana, it's only been on campus one time, um, is probably a logical place to start. But you know, you're going to have to uh, continue to see what you've got for the 2022 class. Obviously, still want to bring in a linebacker like Jay Sean Barham, still looking at uh, to Taylor Stubblefield, was down, seeing Andre Green. I think Penn State's pretty much out of that one, but. For the most part, they're they're still trying, at least. Um, and then there's a couple other guys that they're at, they're after be interesting to, to me. The most interesting thing to me about the Allen thing is you don't necessarily have to replace it with a corner. You don't have to necessarily bring in a defensive back. Uh, Allen thinks some projected a safety, some projected a corner Penn state had him as a corner, but I think this probably gives you a little bit more wiggle room in the transfer market. And that's probably where you, if you're looking at the uh, at the roster buildup and th- or the roster makeup and things like that, I think that's probably where you can benefit from it the most. Um, I think, If I'm calling the shots and clearly, very clearly I'm not, that's where I go with it is to try and figure out something, you know, up front on both sides of the, uh, on either side of the ball um, and go from there. So you look at that and you probably, it's more of an 85 play than the, the, the current class, Uh, see how that works. But uh, I think it's going to give them a little bit more uh, leeway in the transfer market.
1: And Penn State addressed the cornerback position twice in the transfer market last offseason, and of course, you got to recast Fields as this super senior. He's going to move on, and I'm just going to say it: third-year freshman Joey Porter is NFL draft eligible. So keep that in mind as well. Um, Sean, our our five-star mailback question leads us right back to recruiting, and it's a very fair question at this stage. Penn State has been on a roll with recruiting, even after a rough twenty twenty season. If things continue to go badly for the remainder of 2021, could it realistically ruin recruiting plans? And we've said this a lot. Penn State built this number one ranked recruiting class without going and, and and on the field after a four and five season. That said a lot. Now they got another storm to weather, especially if they pick up loss number three in a row on Saturday. I'm not, get, I'm the, not saying it's going to ruin recruiting plans, but it is – difficult to ignore when the on-field product starts to slide and you're two months out of National Signing Day with a group like this.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, the vultures, they're going to be circling or the sharks or whatever you would want to call them at some point is going to be calling, trying to call up Penn State recruits and say, this is what's happening. Uh, You can bet that the Franklin stuff is being leveraged against them. I know I've talked to some commits that have said, you know, other schools have mentioned that he's going to be out of there. So you've got that uh, working against you. That's the thing that could realistically ruin your recruiting plans yeah. right there is if he, yeah. as if he leaves um, because you can always spin it. I mean, you can always turn it around and say, you're the missing piece. You're going to play early. Look at what is out there. You look at the the receivers that are out there. You're only playing three receivers right now. So you've got an opportunity as a freshman to come in and play. So there are ways to to shine that thing up and make it look a lot better for these kids that are coming in. Um, so I don't really see a, a a big fallout or anything like that. You've got to get you gotta get to the finish line. Obviously, the first signing day is is huge for Penn State. Um, so you've got to get there. If 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 Franklin is is still um on board and and, and ready to go hundred percent then I think you'll be okay. Um, but at the end of the day, um, that's the thing that could sink it is if is if there's a coaching change, which is not deep insight or anything like that. And I'm not saying that Franklin's <clears throat> staying going, whatever. Um, but that's the thing that, that would change everything.
1: And when you've got the nation's number one quarterback on the board, Mike Yurcich's presence on the staff, obviously pretty vital getting through national signing day as well. He's uh, clearly attached at the hip with James Franklin was a priority target. I will say the one thing from a staff standpoint, you know, if, if losses rack up here down the stretch, you're going to have to have some conversations, some difficult ones if you're James Franklin about who's staying, who's going and why and When staff changes happen, they normally coincide with that early signing period. Sometimes, uh, you know, quite sadly, they happen a few days after the signing period, after the kid has already put pen to paper. But that's a realistic thing about this. The ramifications of losses are terrible on the recruiting trail uh, for more reasons than perception. It's because all of a sudden the trust and stability that you see within the facility and you say, well, that guy's not going anywhere until he becomes a head coach or until he gets promoted from another program if guys are leaving for other reasons, then that starts to, you know, potentially shake up the security that you have with guys who have been committed for a long time.
0: And I will reiterate something you said in the open here, um, or the open to this question is that they built this class coming off of a four and five year that was really ugly. And, uh, so I think that helps you in terms of these guys have seen poor results. They've seen you kind of turn it around and gotten that optimism going. So, and and on top of that, this class is kind of built from the inside out. A lot of Pennsylvania kids in this class. So that certainly helps with that. So I think Penn State's got a lot going for it in terms of keeping that 2022 class together. Um, But yeah, the uncertainty with Franklin is, is something that will be the elephant in the room until, you know, something more clear happens on that front.
1: All right, well, we've got a, a few more days to get into this matchup that's ahead of us on Saturday, one that, as we said, looks tremendously different than it did just a few weeks ago or just a few days ago uh, with number 20 Penn State traveling to play, number 5 Ohio State will have you covered after that game as well with some post-game coverage. But heading into it, stay with us here. A couple more episodes coming your way on game week number 8 of this 2021 season. For Sean Fitz and producer Lance Glenn, I'm Tyler Donahue. Thanks, as always, for listening to the Lions 24-7 podcast. Mm-hmm.